This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to The Culture Code. Our guest today is the Chief People Officer at Verta Health, Dr. Lucia Guillory. Lucia, welcome. Where are you joining us from today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm joining you from Oakland, California. Now, I couldn't help but notice that on your LinkedIn profile, you describe yourself as an escaped academic. So you did get your PhD from Stanford in org design. And I am always shocked that there's not more PhD IO psychologists in this role because I would think like it's great background, but you're maybe only the second, maybe third person I've ever spoken to that had that background. So tell me a little, is is it an advantage coming from academia into the practitioner role? Like, why'd you make that move? Well, I think the reason why you're not seeing more people in the space is that it's hard to escape. Mm. (laughs) I got out, but it wasn't easy. And then in terms of, is there an advantage? It's hard to say, you know, I'm an only child. Was there an advantage to having my parents with me all the time? I never experienced anything else. I feel that it's hard to break into an operational role from a research space because there are people who have been in the operation space for a long time Mm. before that are like, you nerd, why do you think that you know better than me? Mm -hmm. And so that I think was difficult, at least for me at the start. Don't you find, and I know this isn't like our part of our prepared questions, but I'm just so fascinated because... So I don't have the the academic credentials, but I so believe in a research-based approach to people issues. And I just get frustrated <laughs> that not everybody appreciates what research says. Have you found that to be true uh, on the practitioner side of things as well? I definitely have. But even as someone whose background is in research, I feel as though being on the other side of things for a long time has helped me develop some empathy for that, which is... Yeah. When you're looking at research, you're looking at averages, you're looking at what's normative. And when you're dealing with a situation on the ground, you may not get the average. You may get something atypical and need to look beyond the research to determine what is right using your intuition in that moment. That makes a lot of sense. Well, let's dive in. We're here to talk about culture at Verta Health. And so let's start at the beginning. For those who aren't familiar with the organization, tell us about the company. What do you guys do? So we reverse diabetes, obesity, and pre-D, and it is a continuous remote care shop here. And we do this without adding medications. In fact, we de-prescribe medications without surgery. And it's through really looking at a person as a whole individual, providing them with a coach and a doctor and helping them make a lifestyle change that causes this reversal. Now, there's so much I love about that because if I didn't know that already and had to guess, I think Verta Health of some big healthcare system and there's patients going into buildings and doctors, you're saying, no, you can reverse diabetes and pre-diabetes and things with a totally virtual model and actually get people off meds. I mean, this seems pretty innovative and pretty unique. It is. When I learned about it, I actually didn't know diabetes was even reversible. I have a long family history of diabetes, have seen relatives get amputated, have my father is a stroke victim and is paralyzed. Had I known this, 10 years earlier, it would have been so meaningful for me in my personal life. The fact that it can be done and the fact that it can be done remotely for anyone and with amazing effect independent of a lot of the demographic factors that tend to predict poor health outcomes when 
in brick and mortar healthcare, it's really exciting to be a part of. About how big is the company? And everyone's always curious these days uh, when it comes to culture. Is your organization doing the hybrid or work remote? Where have you guys landed on that topic? So we're about 500 people and we are remote first. So I wouldn't say we're hybrid. There are events that people can go to that are IRL, Mm -hmm. but the primary work experience is remote. I mean, a lot of people have a hard time even describing what it, what culture itself means. Most of us can sort of spot high-performance culture in organizations, but each company is very unique. So how would you describe culture at Verta Health to an outsider? What would it look like? Well, I'd say the number one thing about our culture is that we are people first. We're oriented around our members. We're oriented around one another. And we're really centered in this concept of empowerment and being empowered to lead your best life, to do what you want to do with your life. And that shows up in our treatment, but it also shows up in the way that we hope we are guiding and supporting our teammates. Being evidence-based is also a really big one. You know, we're a company that was started by researchers of this phenomenon. And we're very oriented around the science of what we do. And that comes into decision-making every day too, because we're also kind of like a low... Low ego is the value, but Mm. low hierarchy in terms of the way that we work together and make decisions. Even though you're a relatively small company, 500 employees, that kind of culture just doesn't magically happen, right? I mean, it's, it's, that's, you used really unique phrases, you know, evidence based, low ego, and you have 500 different people and it's remote first. So, what are you doing to foster that culture and, and maintain it? Sure. I can talk about just a couple of examples. I think that one of the things that really helps connect us to what we're doing and feel close to the work and to our individual contributions to that work is that at every all-hands meeting that we have, we have a member come in and actually speak to the team about their experience, good or bad or in between. And we get to hear how they are experiencing the treatment, the changes that they've made in their lives, and also in many cases, the ramifications of those changes for their families, or or I've even heard of cases where it's like multiple generations of folks who are making a change because the grandma is making the change, yeah. you know? So I would say having that kind of example and experience helps us remember every Monday, this is what we're doing this for. This is how people are coming first and how we should then try and translate specific ask that we have today or this week into its meaning and into helping people. So that's, I think, a good example for people first. I also talked about Mm evidence-based. So being a company that's founded on research, we're very quantitative. I tell that to everyone who's, whenever there's an exec that's interviewing to join, now that I'm a four-year plus exec here, and they ask me what's different, I say, like, we're very evidence-based. We're very research and Mm data-oriented. So there's not a desire to hear your pitch for why you think something is cool. The desire is to understand why that's going to work and what evidence you have that that is the right approach. And that information needs to be provided to everyone. And I think that that links to this concept of no ego, right? So I'm the chief people officer, but I wouldn't ask someone, anyone in the company to do anything if I wasn't able to explain to them why they needed to take that action and what evidence I had that that was going to work. And I think that that's like a valuable thing for an organization and for a leadership team to do and to be held accountable for. 
And I think it helps our, our culture stay strong. Yeah, it's great that you are giving that example about research-based, research-driven, like even in the interviews, because then you're going to attract the right people and repel the wrong people. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm very analytical. I'm a C in the disc personality style. So I thrive on, and people who work with me know that you want to sell me on something, sell me with data, but not everybody's that way. Some people are more intuitive or just kind of roll with it. So they, that might make sure like great culture will repel as many people as it attracts or more. So it's really nice that you're doing that from that standpoint. A favorite topic of mine is management training, leadership development, weird thing to love, but it's because, you know, 70% of how we feel about work, the variance in that comes from who our manager is. I've been doing this for 30 years. Most companies that have 500 employees, probably 75 to 100 people managers, you don't have a lot of resources to train and develop your managers. Probably. I am. Just you're getting ready to ask a question. I'm getting super excited. <laughs> <laughs> we're, good, we're a good team. We're a good team. I'm doing the setup. So my expectation, I'm still setting you up, is that even though this is so important, you're probably not doing a lot for your managers. Tell me what you're doing, Lucia. We are doing a lot for our managers. We actually have a program that's it's been running throughout this year. And I think that the first ratings that it got were 93% and the second ratings were 100%. The second cohort that's gone through this program was all people who have asked to be in it. So the first cohort was people who were voluntold, but were, <laughs> were open to it. And then the second cohort, it closed within like an hour of being open wow. and it is so far getting 100% ratings. And so I would agree with you that, yes, we have very limited resources, but I would not agree on that we're not doing so much. So the program that I'm talking about is it's called the Emerging Leaders Program, and it's focusing on folks who are new to management and approaching middle management, essentially. So not senior leaders. It's focusing on folks who are trying to learn those, those initial skills. The program right now is being run by a teammate uh, named Caroline Neely, who is doing an amazing job. It was actually started by a member of the HR team, Mark Mooney, and also Brady Stevens, who's on the TA team. So to give you a sense, like people doing different roles can start a program like this. You don't have to be an HR person with years of training in L&D to get something going. I think it's important to get something going first, more so than having it be perfect. And the program it's being managed from a programmatic perspective by an HR teammate, but the instructors are our leaders. And so essentially what we did was we started off with focus grouping around what are the skills that we want our managers to have and we feel is lacking. And we did focus grouping to understand what that is. And we went to the leaders and said, here's where we think we have that expertise. Do you feel like you have that expertise? And are you willing to teach a course on this? And then we produced this eight-week course on these various topics that we thought were essential for leaders as they emerged into the space of not just being a manager, but being someone who's guiding workflows and producing strategy. And the setup, I'm sorry, I could talk about this forever. Keep going, yeah. Um, but the setup is really cool <laughs> because the instructors record the course. So the managers can take the course at any time, but there's also a study group that happens within a week of the course being released. And in the study group, they're there with the instructor and they can ask them any question on the course. They also do this in a cohort. So there's a team of other managers that they're going through this program with, and they can develop a relationship with those managers and get accustomed to asking them questions about 
topics and issues that come up in their daily lives that relate to the coursework. And then even after they're out of the course, they continue to have relationships and touch points with that cohort. And those cohort members, as well as the instructors, can kind of provide ongoing mentorship and support. So lots of cool elements, plus because I'm super into data, lots of measurement. So at the beginning of the program, before they start, we actually pull their teammates, the people that they support on their competency on these dimensions. We have kind of a mid check-in and then we have an end check-in. And the idea is to understand not only whether or not they as managers think that they're improving, but do the teams that they support and the individuals they support feel like they're doing better on these things. Mm -hmm. You're going to see that that I geek out on this because I'm going to poke on this a little bit. So give me an example. What's a topic or two that's covered in the eight weeks? One of them is, for instance, difficult conversations, right? And we can see that manifested through difficulty with performance reviews, difficulty with change management, maybe even difficulty expressing what it is that you want and need from a teammate as a manager. I know that's something that I had a hard time with when I first started managing was like, how do I ask these people to do what I want them to do? You know, I'm just a person. Why should they be doing what I say? Like, how do I communicate to them? I need them to do X, Y, Z. This segment, this portion is just all about how do you connect with someone, develop that emotional bank account so that you can go out on a limb with them and really talk about things that aren't easy to talk about. Okay. So then the follow-up, Dr. Guillory, is how no do we- told me that, by the way. <laughs> the only one that like uses my- I guess, title, my credential and as their reference to me, but okay. Well, hey, you were very kind and just that I dropped that after I introduced you. But now that I'm going to ask you a a doctor question, I'm going to definitely use the honorific for you. So let's take that difficult conversation topic. How might we measure the impact of the training? What's the item? What's the survey item at the beginning and the end? Are you, is it like, hey, Kevin, how comfortable are you? Likert score, one to five. I'm very comfortable having a difficult conversation. Strongly agree, strongly disagree. Or is it like, hey, Kevin's team members, <laughs> does he stink at having giving you difficult feedback? You know, one to like, how are you measuring? Yeah, it's actually both. It's both. both. So we get feedback from the manager who's gone to the program, which is around, do you feel like you're competent in this area? Do you feel like you've experienced improvement there? And then we also ask the teams basically the same survey from the beginning, which is like, is your manager good at this or not? Right. And we look at whether the score has shifted. Yep. We also have another survey mechanism, which is distinct from the program, which is actually done through our BP channel, wherein we're asking all of the managers about areas that they need to see a shift in and what their competency is in there. And so I think that that's kind of a redundancy where we'll say, mm-hmm. well, what portion of the manager population has gone through this training? And then what are, are all of our managers saying? is the issue that they're facing. Mm -hmm. And what we anticipate is that over time, we're not going to see difficult conversations nearly as much because the population is moving through this training. And we know that at least they are saying that they're not having this issue and they're getting accustomed to working in cohorts. So they should be providing for sure guidance to their cohort members, but also they should be able to extrapolate how to like provide guidance to managers who haven't been through the program yet and how to just talk about things. For our listeners, you know, we we nerded out on that a lot, but there's so much good stuff here, including, first of all, the fact that (laughs) you went from voluntold to true people wanting to participate, asking to participate, and it's selling out. And we continue to see, 
we do an annual benchmarks study at LeadX and everyone says they want to learn and grow and then they don't show up to your program because they're too busy. So if you want people to participate and you're trying to mandate it or, you know, coerce them, they're not going to do it. If you offer it as like, this is a good thing for you. And I like that senior leaders are some of the instructors in it. You're going to have much better participation. You got to make it fun too. I mean, nobody wants to be bored. Right. So you've got to put as much effort into making it fun as you put into the content itself. Love that. And there are tons of books on like how to make things fun and engaging. I really love Power of Moments. And we try to take elements of Power of Moments and put it into the program. And so one example is that at the end, they think that they're coming into the last session, but it's really a graduation and like graduation music is playing. And then the CEO came and gave a graduation speech and recognized them by name. And they had a little fake graduation caps from Zoom (laughs) put on. And then their manager, I was, one of my teammates was in it. So, you know, the managers came on and also thanked them and talked about their hopes and dreams for them, you know, kind of like, like a real graduation. And I think that that's kind of how you put a little life into something that is otherwise watching a webinar. You know, it's not, it's not engaging. It doesn't feel like you're really part of something. You said power moments. Is that a book? I'm not familiar with it. Power of moments. Oh, power of. uh, Chip and Dan Heath. Oh, oh, oh. It's like one of my favorites. That's amazing because I know their other work and did like not realize yeah. they were the authors of that one. That's great. Let's shift focus a little bit. Like successful companies by default have successful cultures, but back to data. How do you know how your culture is doing? I'm assuming you're doing some kind of employee voice survey or something like that. Tell me what you're doing to keep your, yeah. your finger on the pulse of the culture. I love surveys. I think we're all in it, all in on the surveys here. We do an engagement survey twice a year. And then we have essentially action planning that happens in relation to that. Depending on where your scores land, you will likely do subsequent pulses. So one of my teams, actually, I'm I'm in a position where I need to do a pulse because we had some low scores on certain dimensions. Mm -hmm. And I like to have those pulses follow within two months of the initial score that had the flag. And so those are from a just purely data perspective, what we do, but we also through the business partner channel have conversations about the engagement results and possibly subsequent surveying that's different. Like it's it's more about the team and the team's experience Mm -hmm. than the individual experience and then aggregating it and trying to make some assumption about the team. You talked already about like a lot of cool programs and are doing much more with management training than I would have guessed, but are there any other special initiatives or programs that you want to put a spotlight on to share with others? The coolest stuff in the world to me is stuff where the individual gets to take ownership and take a part in whatever is happening. So whether that be the Emerging Leaders Program where your leaders are actually the ones who are saying, yes, this is the right content and I'm standing up to deliver this content. Or it's something like there's a a workflow that we have going on on the recruiting side where we're essentially trying to tell the Verta story from the perspective of the teammate. And ways that we have worked to do that are through podcasts that are looking at really individual Verton's stories of their development and their passion and why they're here and so on and so forth. 
or video content that's being produced to try and help you understand not only what the role is, but like why the role is important to the teammate. I'm describing it in an abstract sense. I'm not sure if it's clear, but it really my my view of this work that's going on in recruiting is about how capturing whatever the essence of the employee experience is and bringing that outward, like showing that to the world is the best way to sell your company. Like if you want if yeah. you want to sell someone on it, like as opposed to figuring out like, oh, these are the benefits they want, blah, blah, blah. Like I think figuring out the people who like being there, what do they like? What yep. are they experiencing? What gives them energy? And how can you enable them to express that? That's something I'm passionate about. And that's something that I would recommend to anyone yeah. who's leading a people team and trying to figure out what your strategy is going to be. Yeah. In a space. Love that. And hopefully the um, this podcast interview will help get the word out about some of what is um, so special there. So this is a short format podcast. We don't have a lot of minutes, but I want to hit you with some fast, fun questions, starting with wave a magic wand. You can send all your colleagues, any book, podcast, heck, Netflix series. I don't care. Some piece of media that they were guaranteed to consume and think about, take to heart. What would you send everybody? 100% power of moments. If my grandmother was still alive, I'd send it to her. I would have my son read it as his bedtime story if, if I could get Paw Patrol characters in there. It is so amazing because it really helps you understand how people conceptualize experiences, whatever that experience mm-hmm. is, and gives you actionable steps to improve those experiences. Anything from a birthday party to a performance review to a graduation, it gives you these things that you can do sensory things, you know, elements that you can add to make it better. And I think that's something that anyone can use. That's great. Great recommendation. What's something that you know now that maybe you wish you knew when, like on your first day of becoming chief people officer, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself or someone who's just starting out today? Probably more than one thing. I think The first thing, which I'm still trying to learn, so I wouldn't say that I've learned it, is just the importance of relationships. I feel like I started off way, you can't even see it on my screen, way over off screen in terms of my capability there in building relationships and understanding people. And now I'm kind of over here, but there's a lot, there's further to go there. And those relationships are just the bedrock of everything that you do whether you're in analytics or you are in my space and people space where it's even more more needed. And then in relation to that, I think that there's this phenomenon where perception is reality and understanding that that link is very important, which is essentially like the thing that you should be most focused on is understanding perception. Mm. What is the perception and why is it what it is more so than whatever the reality is and how do you get back to that place? Because it's just not relevant. If no one believes that it doesn't matter what the facts are, what the details are, what matters is what people are experiencing and how you can help them navigate through that. And that would have been great to know right out of grad school where you're trained to be so focused on, well, what is the p-value? Is it 0.05 or not? If it's not, then this is totally false and nobody cares. You know, just the way you think about facts and data is so different in my background versus now where it's... What do people think? What do they feel? What are they going to do about what you've said as opposed to, did you say all the facts and was everything exactly right? It's interesting. What came up for me as you were sharing that is like in, in the sales world, sales and marketing world, 
I mean, not everybody believes this, but I believe it. You know, they say people buy for emotional reasons, but then they justify it with logical reasons. <laughs> so we have all our data or the pricing's lower, our product is better, whatever it is, but people buy based on how they feel and whatever it is, you know, I feel excited, I feel safe, I feel whatever, you know, they're, whatever their buying feelings are. And But if you then ask them, it's like, oh, well, it's because you had the better price, the zero to 60 was faster or something. And I think that being analytical, it's too easy to just focus on, give people the data and assume that it speaks for itself and everyone will get on the same page with it. But the people's perceptions often have very little to do with facts, for, for better or for worse, right? In in our workplaces and unfortunately in the world these days. For sure. And there are also a million ways to cut anything, right? So yeah. to say the data tells you X or tells you Y is in, in and of itself a misnomer because- yeah. There are ways to look at the data where it could tell whatever story you want it to tell in many cases. Yeah. And so figuring out what is the story that you want to tell, what's the impact that you want to have, and then why, yeah. <laughs> I think, is more important than like, oh, the answer is five. Everybody, right. you all should know it's five. We don't need to talk about this anymore. That's the answer. It's a different way of approaching things. In your chief people officer role, like we're talking here, it's October of 2023. I'm sure you're already getting ready to execute your 2024 plans. What's your focus going to be? What's your team going to be working on? Development. If you could, if you have any <laughs> doubt from my extreme <laughs> excitement around emerging leaders. So no. we're expanding that. So we know that this portion, if you look at, if you think about the organization as a pyramid or what have you, we've got like the middle layer has something that's actionable that it's doing and is liking it. We want to go upward and downward in the organizational hierarchy and provide similar programming for those groups down to individual contributors that just helps them be more effective in the work that they're doing. And particularly thinking more about in the flow of work and just-in-time training and mm -hmm. how to use artificial intelligence, for instance, to, prov to like help us do that, help us provide those offerings to folks. And what about at the company level? Like you're doing such important work, getting such great results already. Think about the year ahead. Like what are you most excited about when it comes to Verta? Every day, all day, I'm really excited about reversing diabetes. I'm super passionate about it. And I think it's something that keeps us as an organization together because we have so many teammates who have a deep personal link to the work yeah. that we're doing. Right now, if you've seen the news, this GLP-1 craze is yeah. hitting the employer market. It's hitting all elements of healthcare. That's very much on our minds because we are a treatment that causes weight loss on par with, if not greater than what GLP-1s yeah. provide. And we're sustainable, unlike GLP-1s where there's like 50% of the population that gets on it is off within a year. We're sustainable treatment, trying to figure out how to be part of those conversations and help the broader community, particularly the employer community, understand how we work, that we are there to partner with folks um, who are on GLP-1s right. or as a standalone offering for folks who are trying to get the weight loss goals that they're seeking accomplished. It's interesting time. And again, just for some of the listeners, the GLP-1s are the new class of weight loss drugs um, that there's a couple brand names, but they're so new and they, they got the uptake and the demand has been so high for obvious reasons. But it seems like the some of the side effects and the number of 
patient types that can't I can't tolerate or having some side it's just starting to come out now <clears throat> and it wouldn't be the first time you know that people sort of rushed into something and then say it's not for everybody and so the obesity epidemic I think you know we need lots of different tools for lots of different situations I can imagine that the behavioral changes though will always be in demand and and preferable for for a lot of people for sure I think it's a it's a first principles core life change versus a temporary, you're taking this medication and you're experiencing the benefit, but then the moment you stop, you're not experiencing the same benefit. You know, like, I right. think that it's a, it's a different type of solution. And it's one that we're really excited to talk about in the context of this high cost drug complex, the GLP ones, whether it's Ozempic or, or any of these in the context of the sustainability piece. Dr. Lucia Guillory, Chief People <laughs> Officer of Verta Health. Thank you for uh, all the work that the company's doing and all the work you're doing to sustain the culture there. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Sinios Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org.